Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. Hello and welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday where we tell your odd but true stories. We are here on Friday, January 13th, one of only two Friday the 13th in 2023. Really? So one now and one in October. <gasps> well, if we, I think those are the two months we do it. We started off strong and then spooky month. Of course yeah. we got to have one. Yeah. For sure. Well, we have a lineup of some freaky ones, a couple of themes in this one uh high school slash college and then um stuff pertaining to a recent episode that we did a few weeks ago we always appreciate hearing firsthand accounts if we cover something and someone's like i actually grew up in that or i was around Mm -hmm. that or i experienced it so thank you for writing them in i'm excited to get into these yes well i'm christy i'm heather and let's get freaky well this first one is from victoria And it is called My High School Years Was a Lifetime Movie. Hi, ladies. Love your podcast and love Freaky Friday. This might be long, so let me dive in. I went to high school in Denton, Texas, during the years when the Ryan High School football team was going to state all the time. Football was obviously very popular, so going to JV games was just something to do Thursday nights to hang out. That's where I met my future and first boyfriend, the beginning of freshman year. I was in sports and band, so my schedule was pretty full, which also meant that I spent my free time hanging out in the band hall. Can we say safe space? Things were going pretty well, and we continued dating through the summer. Sophomore year started, and that's when things took a turn. He started getting weird and gradually possessive. He would call my friends to find out where I was, drive by my apartment to see if I was home, walk with me to my classes during school, and wait outside band hall constantly. It got to be too much, so I broke up with him and told him to leave me alone. That did not go well, and things escalated dramatically. This was during AIM days, and he would IM me constantly. Every time I blocked a screen name, he'd make a new one. He would call our house nonstop, to the point I would have to unplug the phone. Mind you, my mom was working third shift at Walmart and trying to go to UNT. I was alone most of the time, and he knew this. He would park in our apartment complex for hours and wait for me to go check the mail, then follow me. One time my friend picked me up so we could go to the mall, and he followed us around the mall. Eventually he disappeared. We went to her truck, only to find that he had slashed her tires. Her parents wouldn't let her hang out with me after that, and eventually 
I lost all of my friends due to his constant harassment. He told me he was going to kill himself and tried to make me watch a live stream of him cutting his wrist. Eventually, my mom tried to file a restraining order because he broke the window to our ground floor apartment and tried to break in when she wasn't home. We were told that since we went to the same school, there wasn't much we could do. Things continually escalated, with him even being arrested a few times for harassment. There's way more that I can't even list at all. I was ostracized by my friends to the point where my mom put in for a hardship transfer to Denton High School my junior year. Eventually, I started to date another boy, and then he became the target of the harassment as well. Being scared to go to school half the time, I ended up skipping a lot and staying home. I almost didn't graduate, but my mom talked to an Army recruiter who helped me out, and I joined the Army when I was 17. I never moved back to Denton, and I've looked him up a few times. He's been in and out of jail since then, still lives with his mother apparently, and I still have dreams about him. I have PTSD from things that happened in the military, but my therapist has told me that it started before then due to these events. My husband still doesn't understand why I get spooked when he walks into a room without making noise. Ironically, he's a cop. He knows about my traumatic past events, but I guess it's hard to understand for a man. Thanks for all you guys do, and I really enjoy hearing other wild stories about ghosts, aliens, and other creepy things. It's sad but comforting when I hear others submit their stories of stalkers and your misses with murders, because I can relate all too well. P.S. I've attached a screenshot of his jail records for you. Love y'all. Victoria. This kind of thing is just so infuriating because you hear a student crying out for help. Genuine danger. I mean, willing to slash tires, willing to bust out windows and have him go. I don't know. You go to the same school. Sorry. And then the onus is on you, the victim, to put in for a hardship, which I don't know if that's every state has that. But in Texas, you can put in for a hardship to go to a school that's out of your district. So now the onus is on you to find a new school to go to, which it sounds like might even be what you want because your friends, unfortunately, have ostracized you. When you're in high school and your friend's boyfriend is slashing your tires and unhinged to where you're afraid, I can understand why parents would say, hey, I don't know if we can hang out with Victoria anymore or the friends would be scared. That's not right. Of course, it sucks that it's on you. But unfortunately, that's the reality. I'm glad that you remained safe for the most part. Yeah, definitely. It did not escalate even further. And you're right. It's sad because the other parents are like, well, my number one concern is keeping my kids safe. Sure. And if that in their mind means I can't hang out with Victoria, but that's just so sad because, you know, I'm sorry, Victoria, I will say you were failed. They should have done something. And I think hopefully especially. Yeah. Nowadays and hopefully the school would step in. And I had I mean, my new show very, very not even close to as bad. But when I got bullied, I remember my sixth grade teacher stepped in and said something and then was kind of told by administration, of course, this would have been 1999. Well, interpersonal things with students, you should really just like let them work out. And she was like, fuck you. No, <laughs> I mean, like, no, I literally see someone like being traumatized. Um, my conscience as a human is not going to just ignore that. Well, also, so the student trusts you as the teacher to keep you safe to a degree. So if you're going to them saying, hey, um, this guy that I broke up with is just constantly waiting for me in the hallways and parking lot and he's scaring me. I would hope if I reached out to a teacher that they would do something about it. 
Ryan administration, especially if her mom got in- involved. Well, I'm glad you left him behind. But yeah, this is a case of she she got punished for literally nothing except for being abused. Like yeah. you're being targeted and then you have to switch schools. You have to file for the paperwork. You have to drive farther to a new school. Mm-hmm. Make new friends. Mm-hmm. Be scared. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like her therapist said, she started struggling with PTSD before the military. Yeah. Which goes to show how toxic and abusive and damaging stalker situations can be that that has affected you more than stuff you saw in the military yeah and i, I mean the, because you feel so unsafe in your own yeah. home mm-hmm. that's yeah, so sad. at least in the military you're trained to uh fight back and the screenshot of his jail records a lot of drug charges traffic violations and i believe there was Look like identity theft. Yeah. So, so, you know, not a great guy. No, it just tells me a person who has no regard for laws. So, you know, he doesn't yeah. have regard for laws of, you know, stealing somebody's identity or whatever. He's not going to have regard if you go, you can't be within this many feet of somebody. But hopefully mm-hmm. he is fucked off to the moon. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for sending the, that in. Continuing with some high school Texas stuff. We've got Ray who wrote in with small town Texas trauma. I wanted to share my neighborhood true crime story from when I was in high school. We had two different lockdowns that year due to shootings on the blocks right next to the school. One of them more crazy, which I'll begin telling you about. So I was a sophomore, I think, in 2012, and we went on lockdown right before lunch because of this incident that happened three houses down from mine and a block over from our high school. We didn't have the story until it was on the news later. We talked about it all day after lockdown. An older woman lived there and had a nurse there pretty often. I didn't ever really see her, but our neighborhood was pretty close, so our community was devastated. A college athlete from Texas Tech, which is about 30 minutes away from us, committed this heinous act on two victims. The homeowner, Faye Gray, 89, and her 21-year-old nurse, the guy broke in to try and rob her home, but in the process, shot and killed Miss Gray. He sexually assaulted the nurse and shot her in the head. Somehow, the nurse went from the very end of the block where Miss Gray lived to the other end of the block, walked right past my freaking house with a gunshot to the head, to my old middle school friend's house, and got help from the family there. I can't remember what else really happened on my end, but the guy made it all the way back to Lubbock to his residence and was later arrested. When I got out of school, we had to drive through the police tape to get home so I could pack bag and stay the night at my dad's. Once I was able to go home, I remember walking down the block and looking for the blood on the sidewalk just because I was, of course, weird as fuck and really into CSI. The guy who did this ended up being deemed incompetent to stand trial for a decade until August of 2022. He supposedly had schizophrenia and delusions until his recent evaluation where he stated he was able to stop his delusions if needed. This monster of a man, through the years of being in mental hospitals and jail, was quoted saying, I feel like going to jail and being in hospitals is cruel and unusual punishment. And also that he wanted to go home and make a family of his own and continue living his life. As if he deserved to. He was sentenced to life in prison. He was very much caught red-handed. 
The cops had been called for his suspicious activity earlier that day when he was knocking on doors looking for a girl he had been talking to. So the story quickly came together on him. I'm sorry this is long, but it truly was the craziest thing in our town growing up. It is extremely uh, wild to think that the the nurse survived. I yeah. briefly looked it up and she made it. Like she didn't just like run, tell him what happened, and died. That she ran and was able to actually say what happened to her and then survived. That's amazing. Without that, this guy may not have ever been caught. No, yeah, he's a uh, he accepted a plea deal for capital murder. So in exchange for pleading guilty, he got life in prison without parole. But. Uh, he, uh, you're right. It's pretty red handed. I mean, I think they know for sure it was him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, it's wild to think that, you know, you're just going and taking care of your 89 year old patient. Everything's normal. And then somebody kicks the door in at 11 AM. Yeah. That's, it's horrifying. It's also for people that went to high school in 2012 lockdowns and stuff while terrifying, maybe not totally out of the realm of possibility. When I was in high school, that was not a thing. I mean, Columbine happened when I was in college, which, you know, was pretty much the first major one. So we didn't have metal detectors. We didn't have, occasionally like drug dogs would come and sniff and stuff. But it just wasn't a concern that we all had on a daily basis that that was going to happen. So to have two different lockdowns in the same year I honestly don't get how kids go to school today with just knowing yeah. that that's a a possibility. I don't yeah. know how I'm going to send my kids to school when it could be a, I mean, it could be a possibility right now, my God. But, you know, I mean, it's real fucked up. No, you're right. And we have friends that are teachers. And a friend of mine was telling me the other day, he's like, yeah, he teaches middle school. And he said they had what should have said they should have told the teachers hey we're having a practice lockdown but they didn't tell them it was practice and so he's like i was trying to be super cool and i was like oh it's no big deal it's probably just a practice one in my head though he in his head though he was like this could probably this could be real like it you know yeah. because they didn't tell him it was a practice one and so he said you know they were all cool and then they came around and told everybody hey that was actually just a practice one and then the students were like oh mister you didn't know it was practice and he's like no he goes i totally came clean with him afterwards he said i had no idea and they go well for really thinking it was real you're you're pretty chill and he's like oh, what am nice. i gonna do freak you out no you're gonna freak out the last thing you do did they intentionally not tell the teachers it was a drill from what I understood from him saying it, it was like a miscommunication. Like they were supposed to have like sent out like an email or something, or they were supposed to say like, instead of just saying, you know, this is a lockdown drill, they're supposed to say code 12, this is a lockdown drill. You know, like they said yeah. something before when I was in high school, we, it was so strange because they wouldn't outright name that we were having shooter drill, active shooter drills. They would call it like folder. It was so cheesy. They would make an announcement and be like, Principal Smith needs his blue folder and that's like code blue or whatever. I'm like, just fucking say it's a lockdown. Why are we speaking in code? But they knew. Yeah, I remember the code thing too. Actually, oh, actually we had codes when I worked the domestic violence shelter. Oh, that makes sense. But But I think for us it was so the perpetrator was unaware that maybe we were communicating over the speakers like about him yeah exactly yeah that makes sense well and yeah. i just didn't even think about it because the my teacher friends were i said so what's kind of the drill and they're like we have to lock the door 
And I was yeah. like, so what if the kids in the bathroom, they're like, we have to tell the kid before they go to the bathroom. You have to be back to the bathroom so fast because if a lockdown happens, you, I will have to lock you in the outside. And they're like, I'm like, I'm like what do you even do in that moment? They're like, uh, it's an impossible question. Yeah. It's an I impossible mean, question. You can have as many drills as you want and have some protocols set in place, but the reality is, if you're faced with that actual horror, I think you do whatever the fuck you got to do to get out of it alive. Exactly. That's horrifying. Well, in this yeah. case, I mean, the the type of lockdown of just like there's an armed and dangerous person running around, uh, not necessarily targeting the school. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad that nurse survived. That's yeah, horrifying. Absolutely. Well, keeping it with academia and still in Lubbock, but we're now in college This is from Anonymous, and the subject line is College Apartment Intruder. Hey, ladies, love the podcast. Let's get into it. I went to school in Lubbock, Texas, where I lived in an on-campus apartment during my junior and senior years. In May after my junior year, most people had gone home for the summer. One of my roommates and I were staying in the apartment to work. One night around 1 a.m., I was awake and watching Netflix before bed, when I kept thinking I heard someone outside my window, but brushed it off as me being paranoid and the wind messing with my head. It was when I heard a loud crash and my roommate asked me if that noise was me that my heart sank. I told her that I didn't know what the noise was. She responded, I think someone is breaking into the apartment. We heard someone jiggling our front door handle, so I demanded that my roommate come into my room immediately. She ran in, we locked the door behind us, and we went into my bathroom, where we locked that door behind us, too. Huddled in my dark bathroom, she called campus security, while I was on the phone with 911. Now my roommate and I had to sit and wait, hoping we wouldn't hear any more noises, and that whoever was trying to get into our apartment would give up and leave us alone. While in the bathroom, we started comparing notes about what we'd experienced. We both heard sounds outside our windows all evening. But unlike me, my roommate had been brave enough to get up and see what was going on. Through her blinds, she saw someone standing at her window with what looked like a knife in their hand. She even showed me the photo she took when she saw the person standing there. After about 10 minutes, we heard someone knocking on our door and announcing themselves as police. We opened the bathroom door but froze in my bedroom door. What if the person had made it into our apartment and was waiting to ambush us? Armed with a hammer from the tool set my parents had given me the Christmas before, thanks mom and dad, we burst from my room and ran for the front door. We let the campus security and the police officer in who took our statements and said they would look around the inside and outside of our apartment. Outside our apartment, they found two screens from our windows that were ripped out and another screen that was slashed. Unfortunately, the police and campus security couldn't do much at that point, but gave us a case number and their contact information, just in case. My roommate and I decided we didn't want to stay in the apartment that night and made arrangements to stay with friends or family for a little while. Eventually, I felt comfortable enough to stay in the apartment again and continued living there for another year without any further incidents. Hope you enjoyed my brush with an intruder. Remember to always lock your doors and keep it creepy. Well, I was, I hung out with you and Tommy last night and we watched that movie fall. And then I came home and, uh, you know, it was like 1230 when I came home and I decided to have some cookies and milk and I'm sitting on my couch and like my front door, there's like glass. And I thought if somebody just walked to my front door, 
Like, what would I even do? I mean, I guess go in the other room and hide and call 911. But that's something to be said about being up late at night that you just happen to notice that, notice that sound and been able to take action to stop it right. versus you happen to be asleep and you didn't hear it or whatever. But you just, I thought of that. I thought, and I'm sitting here looking out the window. I was like, we're all so vulnerable. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. So I mean, we all like to think. And I think there is something to be said that if you're in your house with all the doors locked and maybe alarm set, you do feel a sense of security. And I hope you do because we that's what we all want. And there is some security with that. But at any time, somebody could kick in your door and just wreak <laughs> havoc is the reality of it. We're all just hoping that that didn't happen. Right. And I think nowadays, too, hopefully with the pr- more and more and more prevalence of cameras and mm. cameras that are like cloud cameras. So if you came to, you know, break into somebody's house and they have a ring doorbell, you could try to spray paint it or obfuscate your face somehow or rip it off. It doesn't matter. It goes into a cloud somewhere. So you mm-hmm. can't get the footage out of it. So that's the other, you know, it's something to be said for, you know, whatever ring, Simply Safe, Nest, whatever brand you use, but it goes somewhere that can't be touched that yeah. you at least preserved, you know, that's their face point. or whatever. That's creepy though, that you're just hiding in your bathroom going, well, I hope that's the cops. Yeah. Especially when you've got a couple layers of doors. I've often wondered about that. If there's a situation where you're calling because there's someone in your house and the police can't get in because the doors are locked, I guess they just bust down the door. Or in any situation where you're trying to call for the cops, but like your doors are are locked shut. What if they're deadbolted? They just got to bash it in. One of those big old things. Yeah, they're like, go, go with the trunk and get the basher. Uh, if you're on 911 and you told them I'm injured or I'm, uh, there's a person in here with me, I think they would kick your doors open. If you said, I think there might be someone outside trying to get in, I don't think they would protocol wise kick your door in absent thinking that they heard a scuffle or a scream mm-hmm. or something from the inside because they're not allowed to come in unless they have probable cause. You know, if exigent circumstances is like, I'm bleeding in here, then they can kick the door in and come in. What about when you are just sitting on your patio one night and you've got Elton John up really loud <laughs> and you don't hear the police knocking at your door because the neighbors have called in a noise violation and then all of a sudden you turn around and coming up the stairs into your apartment are two cops. Is they, that allowed? No. They Okay, entered- well that is a true story. <laughs> When was this? This was when I lived in Florida. They just came into the house? Mm-hmm. I was guess it front- was unlocked. There it is. I was like, was the front door unlocked? Because if they heard sounds and they're like, well, we heard a noise violation and there was no response when we knocked, we thought maybe someone was unconscious inside. So we opened the door. I always keep my door locked. Well, I, I think the um, tiny dancer blaring <laughs> from the patio probably indicated that everyone was fine but yeah they were like we were knocking and nobody answered yeah because we're all jamming out to rocket man we don't hear you knocking on the door but y'all just come on in and then they were like okay just turn it down and and left but it was yeah sounds like they should have done a crocodile knock Thanks that for was laughing. good. That was really good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but no, yeah, keep your door locked. Otherwise, they could get, you know, they can just like open mm-hmm. the door but uh, and get you one of those doormats that says, come back with a warrant. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for sending those in. This next one is from Lida. And the subject line is New Jersey Demon or When Paranormal Becomes Too Much. 
Hey, spooky ladies. Love Freaky Friday stories, and here's mine. I'm a divorced mama of twin girls living my best life. My fiance, we just got engaged after five years together, and I run a blended household consisting of three teens, a menagerie of rescued cats and rabbits, and a sweet German shepherd puppy named Tara. I'm originally from Russia and spent the last 20 years in New Jersey, meaning that there are very few things I am afraid of, and I don't back down from a fight. Take it from a girl who once single-handedly killed a rabid possum with a shovel and then buried it next to Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> so, four years ago, I had just moved in with my now fiancé. Since the housing market here is and will always be a shit show, we ended up renting while we were saving for our own place. The house was large, drafty, and spoopy as fuck. In the first week, I left my then 10-year-old home alone for a bit while I ran out to get groceries. I came back to find them hiding in the basement in absolute hysterics. They told me they were watching TV in the family room and someone started rattling the front door. The fresh snow on the porch, however, was undisturbed. I told them it's the wind and left it at that. Soon after, I was making coffee in the kitchen and saw a black shape move quickly in my peripheral vision. I quickly turned around, but nothing was there. These instances continued for the two years we lived in that house, and we named the shape Dr. Facilier after the villain from Disney's Princess and the Frog. In addition, things in the house would move and not be where we left them. Cold air would whoosh over you, and my black cat would freeze in place and stare at something only she could see. But these instances weren't really malicious or menacing, and we had plenty of shit on our plate. Pandemic! to be bothered by these shenanigans. In the summer of 2021, we bought our forever home and finally moved. One of my most prized possessions are my grandma's three jewelry boxes. She was my best friend and passed away in 2015. Her passing still makes me sad. The jewelry in the boxes is not the most expensive, but they also hold her handwritten notes and still smell like her perfume when I open them. I made sure to pack them away safely and noted the packing box they were in. Well, after the move, I couldn't find them. I looked everywhere for days and I was heartbroken. I had my first and hopefully only experience of sleep paralysis shortly after. During it, I couldn't move, talk, or even wake up. And guess who was standing at the foot of my bed? Yep, same old Dr. Facilier. That motherfucker followed us to the new house, and I became pretty sure was responsible for the missing jewelry boxes. In Russia, we believe that our homes are full of spirits, some of which are not nice and who like to fuck with people by stealing and hiding their possessions, but will give them back if you ask politely to return them. That's exactly what I tried. In a few days, my daughter found the boxes in the main bathroom cabinet, the place I had checked and rechecked. Yep. Now I was pissed, and it was time for a demon eviction. I got sage sticks, opened doors and windows, and with the same steady, unwavering hand that held that shovel over the possum's head a few years prior, smudged the entire house. Normally, I like the smell of sage, but this time it stunk like burning hair, especially in the bedrooms. I just continued to wave the bundle and silently told the demon, or whatever this was, to get the fuck out. It worked. No more sleep paralysis, bad dreams, cold spots, or dark shadows since. 
Our house is cozy, safe, and happy. So what do you think? Was I crazy, or did I evict a demon who likes to fuck with people and probably attached itself to us because we named it? Well, they say not to name an animal if you don't want to keep it. Keep it around and get attached to it, so maybe so. Dr. Facilier is a pretty great name for a demon if you've got to have one. It is a good, yeah, you picked the the villain, but yeah, it's like a stray cat demon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came you can't You can't name them. Ella's named all of them. In the neighborhood, so we see them quite frequently. Heather and I got a got a <laughs> nice old raccoon that we that we've befriended from a we distance. We have to name him. We haven't named him yet. Or I know. I was thinking last night, should we, or did we just we just keep her following him? Like, oh, there he is. Look at him. There he goes. Look how majestic he looks. <laughs> He's beautiful. On my, you got me a desk calendar that's like a ghost a day desk calendar, mm-hmm. and so I tear off the day and then I write on the back of it something good that happened that day, and then I put it in a little container, and then I guess I'll go back and read them. And I wrote on there the raccoon of your street name. <laughs> <laughs> Is the thing. I was like, hung out with Christy, did this and this. Also, saw the raccoon of your street again. <laughs> so, so far, that's just his name. But we'll, uh, maybe he'll follow you to the new house. Gosh. Well, that's he's going to be quite a distance from where he is now raccoon, in raccoon terms. Yeah. Driving-wise, not that bad. If you got little raccoon legs, that's going to take you a minute. He's fast, though. Well, yeah, and we've decided he travels through the sewers, so maybe he knows a shortcut. He's going to, like, spit, like, it's like a water slide system through the sewers <laughs> to the other side of town. Well, Lida, I think uh, you did the right thing by telling it to get the fuck out, saging it, all that kind of stuff, because mm-hmm. shit going missing is one of the worst things. I do that to myself. I don't need a third-party entity fucking with Mm-mm. my stuff, too. No, I got two kids who <laughs> are... Tom, much like Dr. Facilier, for their own little problems. But yeah, they, like I, a minute ago, I was trying to untangle these fucking headphones. They've tangled all up. I don't know where anything is. I don't need a demon also coming around. If, I, if a demon wants to like help me out and be like, hey, your kid threw this in the toilet and I'm pretty sure that it's your earbuds and you didn't want that to happen. So here, I'm going to put them back right here for you. Thank you. <laughs> the demon's like, listen, it's gross for you to put your hands in the toilet, but I'm a demon, so I'm funky anyway. I'll pull them out and put them in some rice for you. You're like, you are welcome here. Yes. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, demon. Oh, well, thank you, Lida. I think, like I said, you did the right thing. Sage them out. Do whatever you got to do. Uh, well, this next one is from Megan. And the subject line is, my family was part of the Gothard Brigade. Let's get right to the point. First of all, I'm no contact with my aunt, uncle, and most of my cousins. So here we go. Growing up, I had eight cousins. Would have been 12 if there were not miscarriages and other medical problems. And of course, my aunt and uncle. I knew something was off by the way the cousins were, but I shrugged it off thinking they were more religious than my father, Southern Baptist Prime Minister, who was deeply loved by all communities, R.I.P., I often heard the name Gothard mentioned in conversations, but I was always too busy being too secular, according to my cousins. They made their own clothes, used hand-me-downs, and were not allowed to watch television unless the program was approved by Gothard, the most holy man that ever walked the earth, according to my aunt. During the summers, the family would get together every Tuesday to hang out at my grandmother's house and take advantage of their pool in any way possible. This was all fun and games, but my cousins would often baptize themselves in the pool. They would put floats on the edge of the pool and run across them, yelling, This is like Jesus walking on water! 
and scold me and my brother for listening to modern Christian music. What was already weird enough, my cousins would go to what I called Gothard Conversion Summer Camps. I believe a lot of them were in Texas, but I could be wrong. My aunt, uncle, and cousins would come home armed to the teeth to try and convince my family to join the real Christian movement. Later, I learned everyone was a part of the advanced training groups and homeschooled their children according to Gothard standards. When I would visit my aunt and uncle's house, while there were pictures of Christ and other holy depictions, the main framed photo was of Bill Gothard, front and center above their fireplace. I would try and play with my cousins, but my aunt would scold me and say I was influencing them to sin. Who hasn't tried going downstairs in a bucket? Where in the Bible does it say, Thou shalt not rideth a bucket down these stairs, and thus the stairs descended into hell? My aunt also broke my beloved VHS of Snow White because of the sinful connections. Anyway, they eventually moved to Connecticut, and my father sighed with relief, saying, Thank God they are out of here. And I have been no contact with my aunt, uncle, and some of my cousins. What the most interesting part for me was, was before my uncle met my aunt, he was a weed-smoking hippie who loved nothing more than to space jam with his electric keyboard. I would have loved to have shared a joint with that guy. Here's a link to a blog my cousin's wife posted. Thankfully, I keep in contact with them through drinking whiskey and having loud conversations. Oh, well, if you're not familiar with Gothard, if you go back and listen to our recent episodes on the Quiverful movement, he's kind of the main guy that they all really like. So knowing that your whole family and your fleet of cousins are into it. Mm. Yeah, it's tough whenever it's one thing if they have a, you know, a religion or whatever, but to exalt a mortal man who liked to pet 13 year old girls hairs and sniff them and have them mm-hmm. sit on his lap and whatnot. That's where, you know, it takes a turn where you're like, oh, you know, it's a picture of uh, Jesus or a holy entity or whatever. But having a big ass, like a weird Olin Mills ass looking portrait Mm -hmm. of this fucking dork in his suit when you (laughs) now we know is a creepy. He's got weird foot stuff, which I'm not trying to kink shame, be into foot stuff, but don't also, you know, tell everybody how to live their lives. Yeah. Also, you can't do stuff with minors. That's just that's a rule in the law. You can sniff we all follow. any foot you want to sniff, not a kid foot. No. Unless it's like in a sweet, oh, I love babies. Yes. Not like, hey, 13-year-old girl, give me that foot, mm-hmm. which is what was going on here. So that's really disturbing. And it sucks that you're now like robbed of a relationship with what sounds like a pretty cool uncle and maybe it would have been okay right? kids, but for this bizarre obsession. Yeah, and it's sad that your cousins, I mean, when you're that young, what do you know? You know what your parents tell you and what you're forced to go do because you're not old enough to make those calls for yourself. So you're kind of forced to just believe this unhinged, toxic stuff that then you try and like you go and tell others to start believing. That's another thing, too. I think that Quiverful is very problematic in, in a cult. If you're just really religious, okay. But don't go around and try and like convert your entire family. If they want to, if they want to know about it, they'll come to you. But don't shove it down people's throats. Also, it sounds like Megan wasn't like a wild child if her dad was a minister. <laughs> it's like yeah, we're, uh, we're all Heather. I'm up. sorry. Did you not see that she was watching Snow White? That 
whore that lived with seven men in the yeah. forest. It ain't supposed to be like that. It's one dwarf and seven wives, not one <laughs> wife and seven dwarfs, like the good Lord intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre. Uh, and especially, it's the other thing. It's like whenever I went to that, uh, the cool kid church here, and they used 9-11 as a really weird metaphor to get the kids to stop talking during Bible study. What? Not yeah. What was the metaphor? Well, like, uh, we were all talking, and then he's like, let us bow our heads and pray, Jesus, Lord, please have these kids, give these kids self-discipline, Jesus, Lord. Lord, if I, if you would keep their mouths quiet, Lord, Lord, in your name, I pray. I'm like, he's busy, man. He's There's like typhoons and shit. <laughs> we doesn't have time to shut all of our mouths. It was like a weird passive aggressive. But then he was like, you know, this was the year after 9-11. And he, so it was fresh. It was real fresh. And he was like, we're all riding in a plane of our lives. And we think we're safe in the cockpit. But the terrorist, which is the devil, He's trying to come in your cockpit and he's going to crash the airplane of your life into the towers of sin. And I was like, oh my. I was 15. I couldn't drive. I had to wait for my mother to pick me up. <laughs> just sitting there going, <laughs> you're being held hostage. This was not worth the free t shirt that I thought I was going to get and then didn't even get. So, ah, uh, wasn't even worth, worth it. it. Yeah, but that's what, you know, I get it's one thing if you're going to go like, hey, don't run in the house, but don't be like, it's against God to run in the house. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's not manipulate religion just to like, just maybe just discipline the kid. Right, right, right. And be yes. like, if you go down the stairs in the bucket, it's not in the Bible. It's just common sense. You're going to bust your ass. Don't do it. <laughs> it's like, I don't need to point to a verse. It's just Although, gravity. <laughs> it's fun. I want to go down a bucket in a, in some stairs. Going downhill fast is a good time. It's fun. No People matter. wouldn't do it all over the world if it wasn't. Skiing, roller coasters, regular slides, Sledding. water slides, sledding. Inner tubes, uh, snowboards. It's glorious. It's fun. Just rolling down a hill when you're a kid at the park. And in fact, if God made gravity, then not doing it, that's going against the Lord, in well, my opinion. There you go. So tell your aunt she's fucking wrong. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Megan, for sharing that with us. This last one is from Val, and the subject line is, Looking Back with Both Chagrin and Compassion, A Cautionary Tale About Young Love. Hey there, creepy pals. My Aunt Tiger introduced me to your show, and it's been a ball and a whirlwind since. Thoroughly appreciate all you do. My submission might differ from others, so if it's selected, thank you very much. Here we go. I've listened to your Quiverful episode a few times now. And as much as the difficult subject matter sits in my guts like cement blocks in a bog, I can't help but feel a twinge of recognition that I did, in fact, have indirect contact with its gruesome influence. It happened when I was 17, 18 years old, and it was the first time I fell in love. I don't want to write my old dead name self off as dumb. I'm genderqueer and occupy a different self and life altogether. So I think the best way to frame it is that I was someone who felt trapped in the barbs of cis girlhood expectations. She was just naive and love-starved and felt ashamed for being a late bloomer. Like many in a poverty-stricken and conservative place, I grew up feeling broken, worthy only for my subservience to others' demands and needs, especially my elders. I met Max through family and immediately fell into that fantasy sinkhole of my first love will be my forever and only sigh and cringe. I was so desperate to prove my desirability that all the glaring warning signs didn't register, especially from his parents and siblings. Max's parents were Christian, 
although the exact kind didn't register aside from the fact that they had far too many children, like eight in a three-bedroom grimy house, on one income, and neglected to provide them with proper education. All were sheltered in a very controlled way. Parents were also creepily lost in themselves and had zero boundaries with their kids. One example, they would just have loud sex while their kids didn't have any sex ed of any sort. Max's parents were odd around me. Sometimes kind and truly welcoming, other times distant and coldly discerning, as though my godlessness tainted me. I don't know if they were just poor actors who failed to convert me. They also exuded a strange air of superiority despite being in deep poverty and failing to raise semi-autonomous kids. Max and a few of his siblings were all quite beautiful, all model-esque, tall, with lovely smiles, but dull eyes. I experienced all of my firsts with him, and while it felt perfect and cherished for a moment, in the end, the religious toxicity and neglect slash abuse left its mark. I feel quite embarrassed about it to this day, as I think a main pull as to why I wanted the relationship so much was because I was ugly and found someone beautiful to date me. I fixated on the potential of it and didn't register the reality of how infeasible and damaging we were for each other. Some of the more intense memories I have were of him talking about being molested by cousins and how he would shame me for when we had sex since we weren't fucking married. Again, I clearly didn't love myself to see through the hypocritical bullshit. One minute he was loving and like my best friend, and the next he seemed to get off on arguing with me and flexing his religion to excuse himself and silence me. Again, it always stemmed back to his parents. Probably didn't help he was the middle child in that mess either. I thought far too much of him. We were just broken kids who not only shared the same birthday, but had, unfortunately, been molded by abuse and parental neglect. We both had something to prove, I guess, and we didn't have the luxury of knowing or understanding our true selves. I don't think he loved me. I don't think he was able. I wasn't either. I know as an adult, what I felt was more probably in line with limerence with hormones and maladaptive daydreaming. Far-right Christian ideals that are not as mainstream still unsettle me to this day because of how much religion can corrupt. I don't believe in complete innocence or evil, but I know that neglect, ignorance, fear, and a lack of love can leave a lasting impression through generations, and a solution through sex-shaming, compulsory childbirth, and bigotry won't fix those voids. I'm grateful for who I am now and I hope Max can say the same for himself. I wish there had been apologies and closure. I don't know if he still has unprocessed guilt and shame over what happened. I have more conviction he does than his parents would, although I want to believe people are capable of change. But there's far too much they carried out and preached that makes me skeptical of anyone who falls for the quiverful ideology. It's just so perverse and damaging, and I hope any grown survivor who's been influenced and affected by it knows it's not their fault, and I hope they can find a safe space to grieve and heal from their lost childhood. For those of us who weren't able to have them, we take so much time and energy having to rebirth them in our adult years and take criticism for it. I say rightly fuck off to those who judge and that this is a beautiful and valuable ritual for anyone who wants to reclaim their inner child. There are other memories that are too painful to bring up here, 
but I hope my recollection portrayed enough of a cohesive account. You both are incredible researchers, storytellers, and empathetic and hilarious humans. Keep doing you, and as always, keep it creepy. Val. More quiverful damage. That's awful to, you know, put implant that in that kid's head of, you know, and, and people mimic the patterns they've seen. So if he wanted to go off on you and get a thrill out of, you know, arguing with you or yelling at you, I imagine it's because that's what dad and mom do. Yeah, that's especially if you're homeschooled and you really don't have any kind of understanding of what goes on outside of your house. I would also like to say I am very proud of you, Val, for having grace on your younger self and realizing that that was just something you were going through because you were going through stuff and being able to look back and say, I didn't think highly of myself then because I know we both look back on our younger selves and say the same thing. But now as an adult, being able to kind of frame it differently, I hope you've been able to feel like you've taken some power back. Oh, definitely. And I feel I highly related to the part about you wanting a relationship to work because you felt you were ugly and didn't deserve love. And you're feeling grateful or lucky that somebody would happen Mm -hmm. to want to be with you versus the opposite of going, I'm inherently valuable. And I deserve someone who values me and treats me as valuable. Because a lot of my early day relationships, particularly, you know, like you said, your first boyfriend, you're like, we're going to be together forever. We're going to be like, you know, it's going to be like a fairy tale. And you're like, no, it's not. I have some no. bad news. I have some bad news. It's not. But I, I hung on to it because I thought, well, I'm just so lucky anybody is willing to even just, you know, denigrate themselves to be with me. And that was totally the opposite. But I love the grace that you have for yourself. And I have talked about it before, like writing a letter to my past self of thank you for going through that. You were beautiful all along. You didn't have to do that. But I, I appreciate all the hardships, you know, because I love my life. But definitely related to that, Val. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Val, and everybody else that sent in your stories. If you have an obit true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at sinisterhood.com slash Freaky Friday. I saw on the news today that there were 157 unidentified aerial phenomenon sightings in the past year. There was more than that, but they've identified like it was a weather balloon or it was an airplane or whatever, but 157 remain unknown. So y'all are out there right in. I don't know if this number seems to be increasing, but that seems high, which makes me think we're on the cusp of something. You you all, they (laughs) are, they they know that we don't. And it was the the god I mean it was the government said, Oh, we're monitoring this and it has increased over the last two years. I think if the government though is willing to tell us, they also want us to be fearful because that's how they control us. Damn. Well anyways, bring we it like to life. Providing sinisterhood to it, no cost. <laughs> <laughs> write it right in if you've seen one of those hundred and fifty seven or one that hundred and fifty eight. I mean, who knows? Yeah, don't call the government. Call us. We got to stop looking down at the ground at raccoons. Start looking up in the sky when we're outside. See if we can see one of these things. Maybe we see a raccoon flying a UFO. And then we just die from happiness right there on the spot. Bye. (laughs) 
We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode. December and January are both about the Murdoch murders in South Carolina. The January one's going to be particularly hot because it is going to trial, so we're going to have pre-trial motions, uh, evidence, describing evidence, things like that, as well as any developments that happen before the end of January, because we're going to get you your mini-sode, so We'll do as much as we can before the end of January. We also have patron-exclusive video and audio content, including a video this week of us going month by month for the Chippendales 1983 Invitational <laughs> Calendar. Uh, audio content like Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. Patrons in our Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month. They want to see us live stream. You can also vote on a main topic episode. The voting is happening now. It's Deep Cut Cryptids. We're not even going to tell you what they are now because this is an exclusive vote for those in the Getting Into It tier. Voting is available till January 17th. I will say I'd never heard of any of them, but I'm interested in all of them. Mm-hmm. We also just recently released a True Crime Headlines where we talk about the sentencing of Jin Shaw. And also the Idaho-Moscow murders, which we've been getting a lot of emails and DMs asking for us to explain kind of um, some legal stuff and just to talk about that. So if you are interested in hearing a very thorough kind of legal breakdown and timeline of everything, you can find that on Patreon as well. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available, and those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterhoodPod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood, and you can also follow us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world, and I am on Instagram and TikTok at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sinister Hood.